the Blunt Post with Vic. Good morning, happy Monday, and welcome to the Blunt Post with Vic. I am your host, Vic Jarami, the editor and publisher of The Blunt Post. The Blunt Post with Vic is a program that covers national, regional, and local headline news, offers analysis and commentary, and I interview members of Congress, local elected officials, and other high-profile public figures. Good morning, and thanks for joining us for The Blunt Post with Vic. Uh, Later on the show, uh, you will hear my interview with HIV and AIDS activist, as well as an author, Mark S. King. Thank you, Amy. Hello again. If you're just joining us, this is The Blunt Post with Vic on KPFK 90.7 FM. I am your host, Vic Jarami, uh, here in the studio with my producer, Ricky Herrera. Hey, Vic, man. Good morning. Let's let's start talking. Let's talk about, uh, you know, what's sort of shaped up to be a summer of strikes and uh you know i don't know if it's appropriate to say it like that or not but i'm all for it i'm all for workers i'm all for uh the 99 percent um asking for what they deserve so that they can have some sort of a living wage you know nobody wants to be in the sun protesting if, if it wasn't absolutely necessary uh with with salaries stagnant for decades really uh yet just living uh, expenses going up all the time especially lately with inflation um i don't know how the average worker is supposed to survive especially in socal so i'm i'm all for them with them i uh i've participated in a few of the strikes including unite here local 11 which has 15,000 hospitality workers and such. So, and uh, good luck to all of them. Writers Guild, SAG-AFTRA, and of course, uh, the Emmy Awards last uh, last week got postponed due to the SAG and AFTRA uh, strike. We'll see what happens. I wish these strikes uh, were under a, a bigger microscope nationally. I feel like it's they've kind of fizzled out in the media. I also think that these particular unions going on strikes. Um, and I think about millions of workers who don't have the luxury of being in a union who are who want the same things because in the economy and inflation, it affects everyone, as uh, our listeners know and as you know. And I think it's a question of ethics and morality when we talk about these employers who basically are not seeing life outside of their uh, wallets, if you will. They're not living beyond their wallets. They're, there's no empathy. It's really a question of going outside and taking a look around you, taking a look at the at prices for rent, for gas, for food. No, it, it no. just go, it goes over their head and it amazes me. And then you look at there's every year there's studies that come out about countries that have the best quality of life and and stuff and america's always towards the uh the nether regions of those lists yeah while norway denmark sweden switzerland finland iceland uh singapore japan are are on top uh you said uh some people don't want to go out of their box and look around which reminds me about the the hearing on uh, the the congressional hearing on on unidentified flying objects. Uh, if you want to talk about that, yeah. So I'm just gonna come out and say it. I love aliens, mm-hmm. so I wanted to talk about this. Like I'm I'm not a conspiracy guy or anything. I but I do like the idea of aliens, and I get I get a little excited every time. Our friends make the mainstream news cycle. So anyways, uh, last week, military officials last Wednesday told Congress that essentially they they believe that the government knows much more about UFOs than they're relaying to the public. So anyways, I just wanted to go over a few uh, takeaways from from this hearing. Uh, you know, before that, uh, will you just share your thoughts on aliens? For the most part, 
Okay, so <laughs> when we look at the universe and we look at uh, science, the modern science, uh, still after hundreds of years, is still at its infancy in terms of figuring out the universe, right? I mean, there's so many galaxies. How could we possibly think that we're the only uh, planet uh, that has, you know, living, uh, living things. I've always said that, like, for me, aliens are like uh, ghosts. I always keep an open eye, open mind, and anyone that brings compelling evidence, I'm willing to not only look at it, but even believe in it. Now, with ghosts, I've not seen anything that's too compelling. Everything seems a little fuzzy. Uh, again, it, it could be that there are ghosts. Who knows? Aliens, a lot more probable, really. There's just been too many uh, too many things to be just, uh, you know, accidents or whatnot. And this may seem really funny, but what made me convinced even more that aliens have, we've known about aliens for a long time, was when recently Steven Spielberg said it. And he said that our government is not telling us I don't want to, you know, I don't want to misquote him, but it was basically something like government is not telling us uh, everything as to what they know about existence of UFOs and stuff. So, you know, I'm I'm very curious and uh, I think there's something there. OK, so from the hearing last week, here are some of the takeaways. David Grush, a uh, former U.S. intelligence official, he told the House panel that he is absolutely certain the federal government is in possession. And just real quick, the, the acronym that intelligence officials and the Pentagon are using now is not UFOs, it's UAPs, Unidentified Aerial Phenomenons. So anyways, he said he is absolutely certain that the federal government is in possession of UAPs. The second one, this is my favorite one. I'm really hoping this one is true. The same uh, intelligence official, David Grush, he told the panel that he knows of multiple colleagues who have recovered non-human biologics from official crash sites of these UAPs. He also went on to say, I have to be very careful here. What I personally witnessed myself was very disturbing, end quote. And the, the last point I want to make uh, or share is safe in a transparent reporting process. Ryan Graves, uh, a former Navy pilot who was uh, a part of this uh, hearing, he told the House panel that pilots do not feel adequately briefed on UAPs. And he said that leaves them unprepared to respond to UAP encounters. There has to be a safe and transparent reporting process for pilots, both on the commercial side and the military side, to be able to report UAPs. I guess I'll just wrap this up. Uh, there is stigma out there whenever elected officials, uh, military officials, or civilians uh, like me and you talk about aliens or whatever the conversation may be. So I think as long as that is still kind of a, a, an element of the outer world conversation, I think we're going to continue to see these hearings and yeah. and not, not really get answers. Right. And My guess is that these the, the stigma is not an accident, that decades ago when people were reporting on these things, the powers that be said, let's stigmatize this, let's sort of haunt uh, people who make these claims so others would just kind of step back and be a fear but when people like uh, Steven Spielberg you know a very well respected person uh, says it it gets people's attention and also people in the military and law enforcement generally are very pragmatic they're very conservative in what they say they won't just sort of <laughs> you know they they won't just like blurt things out if they didn't truly believe in it or witnessed it so we've we've got to pay attention to this but then again uh if if it is true and uh federal government has a lot more evidence and a lot more uh, info they're still not going to sort of come clean and some of it i can understand that uh 
perhaps there's information that they need to process and they need to uh, present it to people without causing unnecessary fear or panic or something like that. So anyways, no, thanks. Thank you for that. You know, I just want to make this, this really quick uh, observation. And, and this has been the case I've seen for for a long time. It's it's just human nature that when someone dies, especially if they die young and tragically, uh, we put them on a pedestal. We forget everything we've said about them. Uh, and so I'm talking about Sinead O'Connor, who, you know, recently died in London. And I was reading some some stories about her and some of the media outlets that for years beat her down were just saying these fantastic things. And I thought, wow, what a change. I mean, why does somebody have to die for uh, for some people, including the press, to really recognize them for the talent that they are or the trailblazer that they are, the activist that they are? Um, that's it. I just wanted to sort of uh, touch on that. Um, I may have not agreed with everything she said or did, but at least she had a point of view. She was fearless, and I respect that. But let's go back to to, to uh, let's go back to federal government. Let's, let's talk about. Uh, I think you wanted to talk about what happened with Mitch uh, McConnell, and uh, sort of compare it to uh, what's been happening to Senator Dianne Feinstein, right? Yeah, well, I just wanted to get your opinion on the idea of disclosure and our elected politicians. Uh, we tend to dig in deep on ethical concerns uh, regarding background. And I don't think health is really uh, a part of that. And I'm wondering, and I think historically, uh, the people that we elect to uh, lead us as a country, uh, medical history has not been part of this uh, disclosure process. And I'm wondering what you think about putting a spotlight on health when it comes to kind of digging into our politicians and yeah. the people who make the decisions for this country. Well, hold on to your hat, because I'm going to get really blunt about this. Here's the thing. I think elected officials, like they're just people like everyone else. They have the right to get sick. They have the right to get very sick. They have the right to have chronic illnesses. They have the right to grow older. And none of that, um, none of that makes them any less of a, a politician or not good at their job or anything like that. I'm also uh, anti-ageism. Many people, uh, especially now, get to be in their 80s and 90s and even more and still perform very well. Um, in all aspects of life, and age should not be a factor. <clears throat> so I, I don't think that uh, anyone should be penalized for getting sick, ha even having a major episode, whether it's in the middle of, you know, the House or the Senate or wherever, uh, or even chronic illness or illnesses, right? I mean, that's just not cool. I'm not a fan of Senator McConnell, nor am I a fan of Senator Feinstein. Here's the thing about Feinstein and McConnell. Now, I I stopped being a fan of Senator Feinstein way before uh, she had health problems, way before, I mean, years and years ago, because I watched her go from being a sort of a centrist Democrat to going way far right, uh, almost sort of looking like a Republican. I also think that she, he, she's been very ineffective for years for California. The other thing, and I think I've talked about it on the show, is about two, two and a half years ago when I wrote a letter to her about the invasion of the Azerbaijan's invasion of Artsakh, uh, her response was, I'll look for legislation to go through my desk. So in other words, that thousands of people die, uh, and if a legislation goes through my desk, I'll look at it. Uh, I thought that was very dismissive. So that's that. So that's that's why I am not a fan of hers and haven't been. Now, I think the problem with, uh, with what people are talking about with her is that she's been absent. Again, everyone has the right to be sick and even very sick, uh, but that she's been absent for a long time from votes um, that's affected the party, that's affected America and Americans and her constituents. 
which that makes it a different matter. And that's why even her own colleagues have asked her to step down. Um, of course, she's not going to until next year and that. Now, in, in terms of Mitch McConnell, again, I'm not a fan of him either. Having an episode, whether it's freezing or someone faints or falls without uh, anyone knowing why, I don't think that it's fair to ask him to step down for an episode. I mean, that could happen to anyone. Anyone's blood pressure can just uh, fall and they, you know, they faint or, you know, they could, you know, I I think I think it's it's too soon. I think uh, he has the right to have that episode of freezing and not have people say you've got to step down. So I hope that that is clear. Um, but again, age should have nothing to do with it. It what what should matter is when someone's prolonged absence starts to uh, affect the constituents, the party, their district, state, etc. All right. So just to be clear, I'm I'm not bringing up the the topic of age or anything. I'm 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 just asking your opinion on. No, I know you're not. I was just this. saying in general because I think. When, when it was happening to Feinstein, and I'm sure with, with Mitch McConnell it'll come up too, uh, people say things that are ageist. And uh, I just want to be very clear that for me, uh, you know, I, I met Daniel Ellsberg several years ago. Of course, he died recently. And I was, you know, he was in his 80s and I was just stunned how brilliant he was. And how for hours, you know, he was part of a panel for hours, he talked in detail with dates and names of things that happened in the 60s and 70s. So, you know, the age thing, that's why I'm so, I'm trying to be clear that one's age should have nothing to do with it. And I know that that's not what you're saying either, uh, Ricky. Yeah, I agree. And I appreciate uh, all the sentiments you just made. Um but my my question is regarding the this idea of disclosing medical history for politicians, people running for for office, people running for the job to represent uh, the way that a president presidential nominee has to, you know, the way that we we know about uh, our president's health is that's what you mean, but for let's say members of Congress as well. Yes, at, or you know, even at the local levels. Look, I, I don't know. I don't have an answer. The reason I don't have an answer is because I would like to see a debate, maybe a symposium on the pros and cons, why it's important or why it's nobody's business and it's a it's a, a privacy issue. My knee jerk reaction says no, they shouldn't have to. It's their personal, private business if we if we trust in them to take uh, public office and to represent us then we should trust them to tell us when their illness is hindering their ability to do their job i think putting you know everyone that's either running for public office or is in public office and disclosing their medical information i don't know if that's a good idea again i reserve my final final stance on a debate or discussion uh, where I can sort of really hear the pros and cons. It's it's a touchy subject. So anyways, uh, you have an interview later in the show. Yeah. So my interview, just for the record, it's uh, it's with Marcus King, who is an HIV and AIDS activist. He was diagnosed with HIV in 84 uh, and he's lived a full and, uh, you know, just a great life. Uh, He just wrote a book. And uh, yeah, we have a really good conversation. So stick around for that. Very interesting interview. I think everyone needs to stick around for that. But before we get to that interview, let's get blunt. Let's get blunt. Let's get blunt. blunt. Yeah, I do have a let's get blunt. My let's get blunt is this. So let me start by saying this. Uh, I am anti burning religious books, I'm anti-burning flags, okay? I get it that with flags, at least, uh, sometimes the extreme has needed to be done for uh, someone to make a statement to get someone's attention. But I'm not for 
uh, burning uh, religious books, um, you know, of any kind. It's disrespectful. It doesn't matter uh, that that's not your religion or what you feel about it. But, uh, but I, so my let's get blunt is about hypocrisy. So, an Iraqi. This is a re- this is really informa- really important information. An Iraqi refugee living in Sweden, right, burned a Koran, right, which is the uh, sort of, if you will, lack of a better way of saying it. It's the Bible for the um, the Muslim community for Islam, and so this has made. Uh, many people in the in the Muslim community around the world um, outraged, right? So why is this Quran being burned? Now, mind you, again, the person who did it was an Iraqi refugee living in Sweden. And uh, this has caused this massive uproar, uh, including um, Sweden's embassy in Iraq was uh, set, in, set on fire. Uh, last month. So, and you have Muslim leaders uh, coming out and denouncing Sweden for allowing this to happen and this and that. Uh, Again, I I don't think that um, burning the Quran is a good thing or it's okay, but this is the hypocrisy. Let's go back to uh, 2020 when Azerbaijan, a Muslim nation, with help with from another Muslim nation, uh, Turkey, um, that considered themselves like a brotherhood uh, and part of the, and I quote, um, uh, Muslim brotherhood, with help from um, mercenaries from Pakistan, uh, Syria, and Libya, all Muslim nations, orchestrated a genocidal attack on the Christian Republic of Artsakh, massacred over 5,000 people in 44 days, desecrated countless churches, monasteries, uh, monuments, cemeteries, destroyed them. Since Azerbaijan has been on a campaign of, of cultural genocide, bulldozing and destroying churches all over the place, um, leveling cemeteries, um, crosses, all kinds of Christian monuments and things of importance, including antiquity uh, that's over millennia old. Now we have videos of some of these uh, Azerbaijanis saying Allah and Akbar, God is great in in um, in their language while doing this, right? We've seen videos of um, crosses being taken off churches and thrown to the ground and people stomping on them. So here's my thing. Where are these Muslim leaders? Why are they not denouncing that? Why are they not speaking out against that? Why is that okay? Why is it that they're outraged over a book being burned, but they're not outraged of thousands of Armenians being uh, slaughtered, calling them infidels, their homes, their churches, their schools, their cemeteries destroyed? What, What hypocrisy? I would like someone to tell me where are the Muslim leaders who stand up against this? Why are they so quiet? Why the double standard? And this is still happening to this day. As they are, as they are outraged over a Quran being burned, Azerbaijan has blocked the only road connecting the Republic of Artsakh to Armenia and the rest of the world since December 12th of last year. So so for over seven months, 120,000 Armenians, 30,000 of them children, are living in an open-air prison without any food or medicine going in. Uh, Miscarriages are up 300% because women are, are malnourished. And people are dying because they can't get to a hospital. And yet 
Nobody's outraged about that. So let's get blunt. Let's give you some, some hard facts here and, and put your hypocrisy and your double standard in your face and say, if we're going to talk about this, then we should also talk about that. Here you have it. I just got blunt. So we're going to take a little break, but um, right after uh, my interview with uh, Mark S. King is coming up, uh, HIV and AIDS activist and author. So stay tuned. The Blunt Post with Vic. Donating your car or boat is an excellent way to help KPFK stay alive and on air. All you have to do is call 877-KPFK-AUTO. That's 877-KPFK-AUTO, and we'll take care of everything. Hi, this is Leela Downs. You're listening to KPFK 90.7 FM Los Angeles, 98.7 FM Santa Barbara, globally on kpfk.org. En una noche de luna, Naila lloraba ante mí. The Blunt Post with Vic. Mark S. King is an HIV AIDS activist and writer whose new book is titled my Fabulous Disease. Mark is a GLAAD Media Award winner and was recognized as Journalist of the Year by the Association of LGBTQ Journalists, which I'm a member of. Mark will uh, also be hosting a panel discussion based on his new book, My Fabulous Disease, at the Art Serve Auditorium in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, uh, presented by Stonewall National Museum Archives and Library and World AIDS Museum and Educational Center. Good morning, Mark. Uh, thank you for being on the Blunt Post with Vic this morning. How are you today? I'm very well, Vic. Thank you for the uh, invitation. Oh, it's my pleasure. Uh, you have a very interesting uh, story, life, uh, and things happening that, that definitely needs to be talked about. Uh, you know, you are, uh, you're an activist, you're an HIV and AIDS activist, um, to be precise, you are an author, you're a blogger, you're a public speaker, and so on. And uh, I was reading that you were, you were, um, you tested positive for HIV in 85. Yes, that is right. I was 24 years old and living in West Hollywood, which is, was one of the epicenters of the epidemic, of the emerging epidemic at that time. Right. So, uh, yeah, you grow up real fast when something like that happens. Yeah, absolutely. That was the year that Reagan finally said the word AIDS. Indeed, it was. Yeah, after four years of people dying and being ignored. You know, I mean, congrats on everything. Congrats on your book. Uh, and kudos to you for uh, your blunt, since my show is called <laughs> The Blunt Post, your blunt and honest and unfiltered um, uh, story. So let's get let's just get started with your. Yes, I am. I am blunt. Uh, I don't uh, mind uh, telling the truth, and uh, and and revealing my flaws or uh, challenges. Uh, not that I consider living with HIV a flaw, uh, but certainly there are there are there are aspects of our lives that a lot of us want to keep quiet about, and that is their choice. My choice is to write and speak openly as a gay man living with HIV, recovering from addiction. I love that. I love that. Um, I feel very privileged that you are um, talking to me about it. Um, so I want to get right to your book, My Fabulous Disease, which is essentially about your journey uh, in these last, what, almost 40 years? Yes. With yes. Living with HIV um, and uh, substance abuse, uh, and everything that comes with that, right? I mean, all the struggles and challenges. Yeah, and, and, and all aspects, including uh, uh, love and family and community and uh, sex. And, you know, um, My Fabulous Disease, Chronicles of a Gay Survivor, is a collection of, you know, I, I'm a writer, I'm an essayist. I, I write first person about what I know and what, I've, uh, what I'm going through. And many, of course, of those things are universal. And uh, so it is a collection of essays that I've written over the course of four decades. So it's almost like a real-time chronicle 
of survival, uh, first uh, from the AIDS crisis, and, uh, and, and then from addiction, but, but also along the way, humor and joy and gratitude and, and stories of, of, of my family and uh, of uh, snapshots of what happened in our community. We were being uh, uh, butchered by this new disease uh, in alarming numbers uh, and did not have a lot of um, advocates you know, and by that I mean outside of, of what was largely the gay community's uh, problem at that time, not entirely. Uh, but even during that time where the government was ignoring us and uh, preachers were saying we were going to go to hell and all of those things, we emerged as this resilient group of people who ministered in the truest sense of the word to one another. We built organizations and delivered meals and held one another and said goodbye. And, you know, that's heady stuff for a 24-year-old. Uh, you know, I, I was living in West Hollywood. I didn't really think much further than the next beer bust. You know, I mean, I was 24, you know. So you live life kind of, you know, footloose and fancy free. And and then this 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 unimaginable thing, you know, uh, creeps into our community and starts to kill us. And suddenly you're 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 faced with major life questions that you don't think you're going to be asking, much less finding answers for at the age of 24. Who are we? Why are we here? Why is this happening to us? What does it all mean? Is there a God? I mean, like all of that stuff that you think you have your whole life to figure out and come up with your own answers to these unanswerables, we're faced with in our 20s, you know, in the 1980s. And it was, it was, it was uh, intense and, and in many ways, beautiful. Yeah, I grew up in, in the 90s and uh, certainly there was a lot of that still around. Uh, certainly. But I've, I've definitely learned and studied um, all of that, from ACT UP to AMFAR uh, to, you know, the LA LGBT Center and, you know, all these organizations and what they had to battle. This is The Blunt Post with Vic on KPFK 90.7 FM. I am your host, Vic Jaramie, and you are listening to my interview with activist and author Mark S. Kink. Uh, we are talking about his uh, new book, My Fabulous Disease. Let me ask you this. When when COVID hit, was there any kind of a deja vu for you? Oh, absolutely. What a great question. There certainly was. You know, those. remember the, the kind of the beginning months of COVID where we knew it was getting, it was bad and it was getting worse and you didn't know how bad it was going to get. And so there was this existential dread of, how bad will this get? Is, are we looking at the end of time sort of thing? I mean, you couldn't help but think in those terms because we didn't know that was early AIDS. And, and, and that, for us, spread out for 10 years, 15 years. You know, I, I, I was diagnosed in 84. There wasn't really uh, effective drug treatment until 1996. That was 12 years of my life waiting for the spot or the cough or something to tell me that, you know, the clock, you know, the, the, the clock has started, you know, tick tock, you know. Um, so, yes, when COVID began, it was very familiar, that feeling uh, and and kind of post-traumatic uh, for a lot of us who thought we had kind of come out the other side and, and made it out of the 80s alive. And then now we're faced with this thing where it, it felt very familiar. Um, and in a way, though, it gave us long-term survivors like me a skill set to help and to uh, reach out and to, um, uh, to help people who were facing that sort of uncertainty, uh, as well as the grief process. Uh, so many families, you know, <laughs> you know, a million you know, were faced with that sort of sudden loss of people that um, would otherwise never have died. And long-term survivors like me know something about that. 
it's remarkable because some people I've met, I've met a couple of people who were diagnosed in 81, which is really the year that uh, HIV and AIDS became uh, public and who are still alive. And yet others would get diagnosed even later, even in the late eighties and would die within six months. Yes. There, there wasn't much rhyme or reason to that, was there, Vic? I, I, there wasn't a sense of, well, if I do these things, I'm going to be okay. You know, it's you know, with with a disease or in condition today, yeah. you you know, at least knowledge is power. You know, okay, I have this, and this is the plan of action, and we're going to be okay. There was no plan of action uh, in the earlier years of AIDS. There, there, there was complete bafflement on the part of yeah. the scientific and research community. Uh, and and that's that's how we live. This is the Blunt Post with Vic on KPFK ninety point seven FM. I am your host Vic Jarami, and you are listening to my interview with activist and author Mark S. King. Uh, we are talking about his uh, new book, My Fabulous Disease. Some of the medications, like uh, was it AZT? Yeah. Uh, some people were taking. You know, for them, for some of, for some people, that kind of uh, even made it worse. It it was kind of like poison, if you will. And oh, as many of those drugs are, you know, they're toxic medications. You know, um, I, and you're right. I, I took ACT. I took anything they would give me, and that's why I was very pro-vaccine when the 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 COVID vaccines came out. Because I'm like, give me everything science has to offer and all of your wisdom. Yes, I understand that there may be risks, but I want, I want whatever uh, you know. Um, uh, I, I want what, whatever you can give me that might give me a better chance of, of survivor here. So uh, yes, I took AZT. It is a very toxic medication. Um, I think that it had short-term gains for a lot of people, but everybody's different. You know, I I was never hospitalized in in my life for HIV. I've never been hospitalized. Uh, everybody's body reacts differently. And my body managed to fight off the virus for over a decade until medications came on the scene. And I have seen people much better than me who were much more conscientious than I am, who did all the right things, die, as you say, die quickly. There, there didn't seem to be a rhyme or reason. I, I, I stopped trying to figure out why a long time ago. Yeah, you were talking about uh how the, the gay community for the most part was left alone uh, to find for ourselves. And uh, that's certainly true. You know, every time there's a conversation about HIV and AIDS and activism, uh, I think about uh, Elizabeth Taylor. Uh, and I'll tell you one of the other reasons I do is because, you know, I'm, I'm Armenian American and right now there's a, the nation of Azerbaijan is committing genocide against uh, Armenians of Artsakh, which is part of historic Armenia. And the world is just watching with deafening silence uh, for various geopolitical reasons, mainly because Azerbaijan is an oil and gas producing nation. And mm -hmm. it's been um, sort of, it's been wonderful to see some non-Armenians come out uh, and uh, make some noise. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's also been sad to see so much more have not. And so, it always reminds me of Elizabeth Taylor because the more I think about it, the more what she did seems significant. Uh, that at a time when AIDS was this taboo subject, nobody wanted to touch it. Uh, you know, even even some LGBTQ people were afraid of it and didn't want to touch it. Certainly, celebrities didn't want to be associated with it because it was called the gay plague, the right. gay cancer. Uh, scientists, doctors uh, didn't know how to treat it. Uh, where where it came from, and they were wearing like hazmat suits, and yet here was Elizabeth Taylor, who uh, during a phone call with uh, Liza Minnelli decides to launch AMFAR, American American Foundation for AIDS Research, and later she went on to create the Elizabeth Taylor Foundation, and really got her name and her hands dirty when everyone was sort of advising her to stay away. And in fact, she was she was being told not to go visit her friends dying from AIDS. You, I know you know all of this, so I'm not yes. telling you. I'm telling people who are listening that yes, yes. not know this, that here's Elizabeth Taylor, the massive superstar, 
uh, being told, don't, don't touch the subject. Don't go visit your friends. You're going to catch it. Uh, wear a hazmat suit if you do. And she wouldn't wear it. She'd just go. She'd touch him, hug him, kiss him, mm -hmm. and uh, started raising funds and creating awareness. So for me, that's, a, you know, this is such a brilliant example of, of activism, of humanity, uh, when people really show up at that level, uh, even when their self-interest is at risk, even when they're standing alone. Absolutely, 100% with all of that. You know, Vic, I have been watching your Twitter feed and learning uh, about uh, the genocide going on and, and your feelings about it. And I, you know, uh, we all have to remain teachable and open to uh, injustice and what's going on in the world. And in, and, and in that example, in terms of your country, you know, as you say, it's a geopolitical kind of brew of why people are, are staying away and, and not providing support. In the early days of AIDS, what we had was kind of a socio-sexual brew in terms of here you were dealing with these outcasts, homosexuals, and it had to do with the kind of sex that homosexuals were having. And so who wanted to touch that? You know, HIV just touches on so many third rail hot button things. It, it, it's about sex and bodily fluids and homosexuality and the church and condoms and polit you know, it's every, it, everything you can imagine is wrapped up in this tiny little virus, you know? Uh, and you're right. Elizabeth Taylor stepped forward as did others, but she was a real uh, guiding light in terms of bringing other public support along the way. There have been milestones of people like that who, who did that. Certainly, you look at Ryan White, Elizabeth Taylor, Princess Diana, um, Magic Johnson was yeah. an enormous milestone because oh, here you had, yeah, absolutely. You know, so you, you, we had milestones in which people, Rock Hudson, people's eyes were opened a little further and a little further. You know, um, you, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to measure the impact, for instance, that Magic Johnson had because it switched the script of who gets it and who's at risk and, and who, you know, and, and what communities should become more aware. Um, uh, thank God for those. And, and too bad, really, that we had to rely on those gatekeepers because nobody cared about a homosexual. You know, we had... Um, really awful elected officials, you know, who were uh, turning their backs or getting on the floor of Congress and saying, you know, uh, these people should be tattooed. Uh, these people living with HIV should be quarantined to an island somewhere. Right. You know, I told them if, if they give us Maui, we'll go. <laughs> yeah. Wow. This is The Blunt Post with Vic on KPFK 90.7 FM. I am your host, Vic Jaramie, and you are listening to my interview with activist and author Mark S. King. Uh, we are talking about his uh, new book, My Fabulous Disease. So let's talk about now. I mean, we can probably talk about your your journey forever. Uh, uh, first of all, let me just say kudos for being open about uh, your sobriety. Uh, I, too, am open. I have uh, just over 15 years. I think it's Wonderful. important uh, to to talk about being sober because you know every when people hear uh, those that they know, it, the, the stigma goes away. You know, mm -hmm. so just there's so many people that are sort of suffering from uh, alcoholism or substance abuse, whatnot, silently because they're ashamed, they feel guilty, and <clears throat> those of us that talk about it hopefully helps, um, helps to get that oh, help. Absolutely, Vic. You know, I, I've been all, I don't know where it comes from, but I'm just driven by, I say I have a certain shamelessness. And, and I don't mean it the way people take it. I mean, I am without shame. I refuse to be shamed about which uh, is an immutable characteristic or like being gay or living with HIV, you know, and, or being, uh, you know, an addict, you know, um, I, I, uh, I remember being a kid, I mean, in my teens, realizing I was gay and going through kind of the, the panic about what that meant for a, a 
some period of time and then saying to myself, you know what, this is okay. This is not my fault. It is not a fault and I'm going to be okay with this. And if I'm going to be okay with this, I'm not hiding it. And this was 1977, <laughs> you know, in a small town in Louisiana. So I don't know where that kind of fortitude uh, came from, but I, uh, probably my parents, but I, I've always kind of carried that along. And, and, and you're right, when people talk about it and alleviate kind of the, uh, the, the, the social stigma of it, which definitely still exists when we speak of HIV, then it makes it a little easier. I am lucky, I am privileged in that I work in a field, I'm a writer, I, 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 am, I am happily married. I, I don't fear consequences. Nobody's gonna take my job away. Nobody's gonna, you know, no, no, today no one's gonna take my marriage away, but you know, let's check back on that. You know, there are, there, I, I, I don't have consequences in the way that a lot of people do. A lot of people can't talk about these things. They, 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 they risk the loss of their job or their relationship or physical violence. And um, I, I, I am not one of those people. And that brings a responsibility for me to be able to say the unsayable, you know. Uh, and by the way, have a, lo a lot of fun, fun along the way because HIV is not going to steal my joy, not for another second. And, um, and a lot of what is in the book, My Fabulous Disease, as you know from the title, is going to be irreverent and uh, joyful and have kind of a wry sense of humor because that's who I am. And I am more than the HIV. I am about all of those other things I write about in the book in terms of family and sex, the sexual politics of HIV and what all of that means. And um, those should not be unsayable. They, they should not be unwritable. And fortunately, right now, I live in a country where I can do that. And, um, and thank goodness for that. But I claim my privilege. I know that that is a privilege that a lot of people don't have. This is The Blunt Post with Vic on KPFK 90.7 FM. I am your host, Vic Jaramie, and you are listening to my interview with activist and author Mark S. King. Uh, we are talking about his uh, new book, My Fabulous Disease. And we should mention that despite uh, popular opinion, HIV and AIDS are not over. Uh, they are still uh, affect, you know, affecting a lot of people. A uh, lot of new cases happen, not just in the U.S., but throughout the world. So it, it's, it's important to continue this dialogue, educate people, uh, just because PrEP is out doesn't mean that no one gets HIV anymore. The United States has 50,000 new infections every year. And those infections happen amongst those uh, who are uh, the most vulnerable. You know, um, by and large, gay white men like me uh, with, who have resources, we're all set. Either we have access to the pill that prevents HIV infection or we're on successful medications and are unable to transmit the virus anymore because of our medications, and we'll probably live a healthy lifespan, a normal lifespan. That's terrific, <clears throat> but who does that leave? That leaves black men and women, that leaves transgender black women, well, that leaves a lot of people without access to the knowledge because they're not being educated. HIV prevention ed uh, education is not available to them. Prevention is not being available to them, nor is treatment by and large, because we have a screwed up healthcare system in our country. And so those, all of those reasons are, are driving, you know, HIV follows the path of least resistance. And if that means going into communities that are most vulnerable, that's where it goes. Uh, <clears throat> I'm not gonna be one of those gay white men that walks off the playing field because I got everything I came for. Uh, that would be a, a huge disservice to those people left behind. And uh, none of us can afford to do that because as long as anybody can get HIV, we can all, you know, any, anytime anybody is vulnerable, we, we, we are, right, we are, we are a very connected society. We learned that with COVID. And uh, all of us should be uh, protected and given the same right to have access to information and prevention as anybody else. Absolutely. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> no, I mean, so, you know, so well said.
what's what's there to add but i do want to i do want to uh mention your event coming up it's a big deal uh in florida if you want to tell us about that we'll... oh absolutely i'm very honored the uh uh the, the stonewall national museum and archives which is located there in fort lauderdale uh has me as their guest on friday september 22nd People can find out about it if they want to go to the Stonewall Museum and Archives and, and get information on that. Or um, they can come to my site where all of my upcoming events for the book live, and that's myfabulousdisease.com. That's, yeah. a, that's a big honor. So congratulations. And Thank your website you. is myfabulousdisease.com. That is right. Yes. Right. Mark, before we go, is there anything, uh, any questions uh, I should have asked that I didn't or would you <laughs> like to add something? You know, I, I, I would only say that I have not feel, felt um, as, as much as I have a sunny attitude and I like to project that because that's just who I am and I choose joy. It's also true that for LGBTQ people, uh, there has never been a more dangerous time in American society. Uh, and I include AIDS in that than there is right now. And we should all be paying very close attention to what's happening and do everything you can through the voting booth and elsewhere to make sure that basic human rights are not denied to anybody. Well said, uh, Mark, thank you very much. Uh, good luck on your event, on your book, although I don't think you need luck. <laughs> and uh, thanks again for being on the show. You're so welcome, Vic. Thanks for the invitation. Before we go, I'd like to thank my producer, Ricky Herrera, without whom this show would not be possible. And KPFK, the station that brings you unfiltered and commercial-free news, opinion, and hopefully some inspiration. Thank you for joining me today on The Blunt Post with Vic. For more information, please visit thebluntpost.com. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Vic Jarami, at V-I-C-G-E-R-A-M-I. Thank you. The Blunt Post with Vic.